I'm Helen Skelton and welcome to the Clean Energy Revolution. This series of podcasts is all about the role energy is playing in tackling the negative effects of climate change, the energy that we use to fuel our everyday life. We'll look at what is already happening to make the energy we use greener and cleaner and what part we can all play as individuals, businesses and nations in creating a more sustainable future. Today we're going to look at hydrogen. Now, of course, hydrogen is just one fuel option for the future. National Grid is looking at lots of options, and it's all about finding the right mix that will be safe, affordable and fair for everybody. And that's whether you're in industry, businesses or in our homes. There probably is no silver bullet. But what is all the fuss about hydrogen? Why is everybody talking about it? What's its potential for our future energy supply and decarbonising gas supply? And what innovations are already taking place to get to that point? I'll be finding out with the help of a few experts. So today we're going to start with Dr Chris Manson-Witten and Professor Zoe Robinson, who were major parts of a project called High Deploy. Now, this trial is the first of its kind in the UK. Before we hear all about it, I'm just going to tell you what it is in case you are not aware of High Deploy. It's a pioneering green energy trial that happened at Keele University in the UK. It could help cut carbon dioxide emissions caused by heating homes. Now, this project was all about injecting up to 20% by volume of hydrogen into Keele's University's existing natural gas network, feeding 100 homes and 30 faculty buildings. By contrast, there's almost nothing in the gas network in the UK at the moment. The 20% hydrogen blend is the highest in Europe, that with a similar project being run by NG in northern France. Now, Professor Zoe Robinson, you also undertook some great social science work on customer engagement, which provides really useful insight into customer perceptions. Let's start with yourself, uh, Dr. Manson Witten, because this is a real first of its kind in the UK. Just talk me through what High Deploy is. So the High Deploy project is going to be the first or was the first time that hydrogen was ever blended into the natural gas grid here in the UK. And in fact, not only is it a leading project in the UK, it's actually one of the first projects around the world doing this kind of thing. And the idea is, if we can put hydrogen, which doesn't emit carbon dioxide when you burn it, into our national, into our gas grid, then we're able to reduce the carbon impacts that we all have in our homes daily when we you know, turn the shower on or we get hot water or we have to turn the thermostat up in order to get us warm. It allows us to reduce the carbon impact that we have in doing that, but without any disruption to our day-to-day lives. So it's a really important early part in the journey to helping us reduce our carbon footprint. Why have you put so much effort and energy into trialling hydrogen? What opportunities do you think it presents? We think that we need as a country and as a world to reduce our carbon impact. Uh, There are a variety of ways of doing that. But here in the UK, we have a world leading gas grid that gets energy to where we need it. That's energy to industrial users, energy for power generation, energy 
in our homes. And so using that infrastructure to deliver low carbon energy gives us a resilient and easy way of helping us to decarbonize. So we're going to need to reduce the carbon impact of the electricity we use. But if we can reduce the carbon impact of the gas we use as well, then it allows us to continue to live as we do today, but to reduce the carbon impact. And we saw blending as a really good first step on that journey. It saves a material amount of carbon in its own right. If we rolled it out across the whole of the UK, it would be the equivalent of taking two and a half million cars off the roads in terms of the carbon that we remove. But actually, it also provides us a stepping stone to t- take even more carbon out. We build up the supply chain for making hydrogen. We also build up you know, the, the gas fitters, the skills that we need in order to handle hydrogen, which then provides us a basis to consider converting the gas grid in the future, parts of the grid to 100% hydrogen, as well as helping hydrogen reach out into some of those other parts of our energy system, either industrials or even for transport, because we build up that supply chain and build out that production of hydrogen. A lot is being made of hydrogen. A lot is being made of the opportunities it presents, but also the, the cons as well. Professor Robinson, maybe you could just tell us why Keele University got on board and why you were kind of willing to do this trial. We have uh, a range of, of domestic properties on site, which is quite unusual for, for university. So our staff or some of our staff live on site as well as student halls of residence and, and all of the usual sort of commercial buildings and sort of retail um, leisure facilities. So effectively, we are a small town. What is also really interesting and important for this is we own our own private utilities network. And that made it the ideal site for the first phase of the high deploy project and trialing this blend of hydrogen. So we really like to think of our university as a genuine living lab where we can trial these new innovative uh, sustainable solutions while people just go about their their normal lives, whether that's that's work or, or just their their normal domestic arrangements. And are you still doing it? Is there still are you still adding that percentage to the existing gas network at the university? So at the moment, no. Um, so that trial has finished. It was a very successful trial. We ran for a, around 18 months and had to run even during, you know, we were running through a large chunk of the, the time of COVID as well. Uh, however, we have a follow-on trial on a public network that uh, is just commencing which will then be delivering hydrogen to around 650 homes. Uh, And so the legacy moves on. As Zoe said, uh, the Keeley University was a fantastic first place to do such a project. They've got their own private gas network. It gave us more degrees of freedom. And in fact, some of the unknowns were much more tightly controlled because Keel Keel very much know their gas network. It's a little bit more limited. So it was a great place to start, a great place to make the safety case to do that to start with. And it would be good to talk about the safety case as well. I was just going to come on to that because it's clearly been successful because you're scaling it up. But from the university's point of view, Zoe, was it successful? And what was the the consumer experience? Yeah, I mean, from the university's uh, point of view, it's been a fantastic project to to be part of, you know, this sort of the the first time that hydrogen has blended into a, a live gas network. So... 
and, and it's been really successful as well in terms of our um, our residents um, and you know the rest of the the university sort of consumers of gas because they haven't noticed anything. So and that's that's really the joy of this this blending approach is that the customer shouldn't have to do anything, shouldn't notice any difference. And that has been the, the result. But the really sort of almost sort of surprising thing from the work that we did sort of talking to, to the residents is just how positive they were about this technology. And so actually. We, we got more positive responses. People felt really excited, actually, to be part of this project. What does this actually mean then for the future of hydrogen in our homes? I think it provides absolutely the foundation. I think the best quote we had from a resident was, I'm contributing by doing nothing. Where else do you get to do that? And I think that's what blending and even the use of hydrogen in our homes does allow us to start making a difference on an individual basis, but without major disruption to our day-to-day lives. Is blending the answer then? Because you said about major disruption to our day-to-day lives, but you know my brain is not logistical, but it sounds like if you blend, you don't have to replace all the infrastructure. So it sounds like blending offers a pretty good solution, or am I being too naive? It offers a really good solution to get things going, but because you're only you are still using natural gas, you are still emitting carbon dioxide. So we're saving some carbon. But if we want to get to net zero, we need to go further and deeper. And that's why the work that's going on to actually say, can we convert the network to 100% hydrogen gives us that opportunity. Now, if we do that, you're still using a boiler on the wall going to radiators in your house and you're running your system just like you do today. You would need a hydrogen boiler rather than a natural gas one. But what we've got from the major manufacturers already is they have developed boilers which are hydrogen ready. So the next time you change your boiler, you could be at the point where you could put a hydrogen ready boiler on the wall, keep using natural gas as you do today, But the point at which your bit of the network gets switched over to hydrogen, a gas engineer comes along, spends 15, 20 minutes, makes a few adjustments, and then your boiler is just ready to go on hydrogen. So that really is a non-disruptive solution. National Grid is exploring a number of different options to decarbonise energy. Today we're talking about hydrogen, which can be produced in different ways. Blue hydrogen is made using natural gas at gas terminals and carbon is captured on site to offset this and stored. We're going to explore carbon capture usage and storage in a later episode. Grey hydrogen is made using natural gas too, but the carbon is not captured. And green hydrogen is made from water using renewable electricity in a process called electrolysis. The only mission there is water. And if you use surplus wind and solar power from the grid to do this, it is completely green. But it does require a lot more electricity than the creation of blue hydrogen. Let's talk a bit more about the roadmap to change and these different options with some experts. Daniel Stewart, who is the long-term strategy manager for gas transmission in Net Zero, and Chris Newitt, who is project managing National Grid's work on a hydrogen project in the Humber and Teesside. Right, we're going to start with them yourself, Danielle. So just tell us a little bit more about what you're tasked with, because long-term strategy manager, big title, big responsibility. How do you break that down on a day-to-day? 
Oh gosh, it's um, it covers a lot of things. So I guess in my job, I look at the role that our gas transmission network can play in facilitating net zero greenhouse gas emissions in the future. So I look at the role we can play to decarbonise industry, to decarbonise power, transport, and also slightly further away from how we work, but homes as well. I take a look at that too. And I also look across all of our programmes for hydrogen, actually. So covers a fair bit. So why is hydrogen so important to the future of energy? So hydrogen is the most abundant element in the whole of the universe. Um, When it burns, you only get water as a byproduct. So when we look at all credible scenarios to get us to net zero by 2050, some amount of hydrogen needs to be out there in our economy. And it's really important because there are some users, when you look at the alternatives such as electrification, who may not be able to electrify their processes. So these are things like large-scale heavy industries, so perhaps steel or cement or ceramic, something like that. But also, when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining, we still need to be able to generate power. So one option is to use hydrogen to do that. But hydrogen, I mean, we're hearing it more and more. It feels like it's definitely inevitable because everybody seems to be talking about it in all different sectors. But it isn't a one-size-fits-all, is it? Otherwise, we'd be using it now. In what scenarios might we be able to use hydrogen in the future? So I think I mentioned a couple. So industry and power, are a couple of options, but also heavy goods vehicles as well. So when you look at those really heavy duty vehicles or perhaps rail or maritime where you need those really long ranges, but also fast refueling times, there are also alternative places where we could see hydrogen playing a role. The reason we don't see it today is because natural gas is so much cheaper but we can't keep using natural gas because it's not sustainable and there are greenhouse gas emissions associated when we burn it. So we need to look for alternatives. And as you said, hydrogen is one of those alternatives, but even in the introduction coming into this, we identified that in order to get the hydrogen, you've got to use electrolysis, which takes an energy in itself. So how energy intensive is it to get the hydrogen? Oh, great question. Um, It does require quite a bit of energy to to get that hydrogen from that process. And so it's something we need to consider when we look at the different options for making hydrogen. There's lots of different ways. And you've mentioned two of them. So we typically refer to them as blue or green hydrogen. There's lots of other colours out there, too. There's a whole rainbow of colours of hydrogen. Um, It does take a lot of energy to do that. But as I say, there's not alternatives in certain applications. So it may be the processes we need to use. Chris, you're nodding away there because I may have misunderstood this. But am I right in thinking that you're working on a project that will rely heavily on hydrogen? So the project we're working on is up in the industrial regions in the northeast of England. And really what it's looking at is developing the infrastructure that will allow some of those heavy industrial users to to decarbonise. And part of that story is through hydrogen. So we are looking to play the role in terms of being able to to, uh, transport the, the hydrogen across those regions. And that's a mix of blue and and green hydrogen in those regions. Because there will be people, you know, we've mentioned Teesside and the Humber, there will be people who think that is a part of the country that's very, very industrial, that's got huge, massive factories, that's churned out massive big things before. There's no way they can run on a few solar panels. They're going to need something else. Is that putting it too simplistic or is is that the issue that you are going to need something on a huge scale to power that those parts of the world? I think that is absolutely the issue you have in those areas. You can't electrify everything in those areas. They are the we obviously have some very key primary industries in those areas around steel and glass making. We have refineries in those areas, um, as well as chemical plants, which 
they they rely on on that high grade heat that you can get via via hydrogen or actually they just need those molecules in the process so uh electrification doesn't necessarily work for them so does it feel inevitable that hydrogen will play a role in the future it's just a question of how much of our energy comes from hydrogen yes i think so so i think we know we need to have some level of hydrogen in the economy as i say all pathways to net zero require that but it is a case of how much at this point well thank you guys and i think as you say chris i think we're checking in more with your project further down the line so thank you very much for your time both of you Dr. Graham Cooley joins us now. Dr. Cooley, can you tell us a little bit more about the projects that are already using green hydrogen? Sure. So uh, just a very quick introduction to ITM Power. Um, As you know, ITM is an electrolyzer manufacturing company. Uh, We moved in this year to the world's largest electrolyzer factory, which is in Sheffield, uh, and we build PEM electrolyzers. Those are devices that take in renewable power and split water into hydrogen and oxygen. And if you make the hydrogen using this method, it's called green hydrogen because there is no carbon footprint. uh, There's no carbon in the entire supply chain. So we've been using electrolysis equipment uh, that you can couple to renewable power to make green hydrogen and been doing a number of trials are putting that hydrogen into the gas grid. In the UK, the most notable trial is the High Deploy project with Caden and Northern Gas Networks. We've also done uh, two projects uh, putting hydrogen into the gas grid, green hydrogen into the gas grid in Germany. Uh, one was with the Tuga Group and the other was with RWE. So the technique is uh, to store renewable power as green hydrogen and then put it directly into the gas grid to provide a renewable gas for decarbonising heat. There have been some successful trials, as you just touched on there, Dr Cooley, but how easy is it going to be to scale that up and do it so that the whole nation can use green hydrogen? So um, we moved in this year to the world's largest electrolyzer factory with a capacity of one gigawatt per annum, which is a 1,000 megawatts per annum of manufacturing capacity for electrolysis equipment. Um, But you have to compare that number with what's required. So if you look at the IEA report, which was published in May of this year, it says that for the world to get to net zero by 2050, which is only 29 years time, the world needs 3,500 gigawatts of electrolysis. That is a very huge number. So, look, although we're in the world's largest electrolyzer factory and we already have a capacity of one gigawatt per annum, it's nowhere near enough. And actually, the only way of making a net zero energy gas that can replace natural gas in the gas grid is by splitting water using renewable power. So not only do you need a huge amount of electrolysis equipment, you also need a huge amount of renewable power. Green hydrogen has its supporters. It also has its critics as well who would say, yes, green hydrogen offers a solution to some energy needs, but not all energy needs. Therefore, is it worth 
putting all this time and energy and money into green hydrogen because it isn't a one-size-fits-all, solves all the problems, does it? There's an entry market which we will use for scaling and cost reduction, which is uh, a, a, an industry that it, it, it uses hydrogen already, uh, industrial applications of hydrogen, like the production of ammonia, like refining, uh, and like the production of other commodities such as ammonia. That's the entry market. But what hydrogen does is also uh, uh, provide you with a net zero energy gas that you can use in the gas grid. And, and the question is, is the future of energy and energy transportation about using the gas grid or is it about using the electricity grid? And, and I would say you need both. Uh, and, and one of the key reasons you need both is that for uh, renewable power, you will need a lot of energy storage. And actually, one of the key principles of making green hydrogen is that you turn green electrons into green molecules. Electrons are incredibly difficult to store. Actually, if you turn them, the electrons into molecules, they're very easy to store. And so the principle of very long duration, huge volume energy storage will rely on green hydrogen. Talking about storing it, how easy is it to store it safely? I'm thinking about salt caverns. So uh, a number of methods of storing hydrogen. I mean, the first thing to say is that the whole of the gas infrastructure industry are looking at using hydrogen directly into the gas network. And, and so uh, the, um, initially we will begin with blending hydrogen into the gas network. And then we will approach higher and higher compositions of hydrogen into the gas grid. And at that point, you will begin to need more and more hydrogen storage. The highest volume method of storing hydrogen is going to be in salt caverns. Hydrogen tech needs to be safe, fair and affordable and the work National Grid and Partners are doing feeds into policy making on a national scale. Hydrogen is considered to be better for the environment than methane or natural gas and by 2030 the government wants the first hydrogen town to exist. Now this would mean replacing the natural gas in a certain area that most homes rely on today in a safe and secure way. By 2040, a substantial number of places must be linked by a hydrogen backbone, a dedicated hydrogen transport infrastructure. And by 2050, hydrogen could be used in some areas across the UK to heat our homes. So some big goals there, some long-term ambitions, but let's unpack a bit of them and find out exactly what they mean for us as the consumers and the users. I'm joined by Tony Green, the director of the Hydrogen Programme at National Grid, to shed a bit more light on how hydrogen might improve the environment and help out in our homes. Thank you for your company, Tony. No problem, nice to be with you. I think I said hydrogen about 65 times in that introduction, so I'm going to hand over the hydrogen baton to you. Just talk us through how hydrogen works in the energy mix right now. In the in the energy mix right now, there is actually very little hydrogen that's used. It's generally in industrial processes and it's uh, what we would call grey hydrogen. So it's, it's produced and the, the carbon's not captured in it. 
So very little use today, but it's it's still a sizable um, use in industry. And it's that that we want to leapfrog off and, and build so that we can use hydrogen more widely. Nevertheless, people are talking about hydrogen. I feel like policymakers, you know, politicians, NGOs, everybody seems to be using the word hydrogen. Why are people seeing it as such an opportunity? I think it's because it's... First of all, it's it's very green. It's it's a carbon-free gas, so it's the most plentiful um, element on the in the universe. Um, we've got lots of it. It's quite difficult to um, capture and produce, but when we burn it, all we get is water. So it, from that point of view, it's a very green. It's a very reproducible gas. And although there are opportunities for electrification of a lot of things, which wouldn't use carbon. The, the methane we use today is no longer sustainable. We've got to find alternatives. And hydrogen is that, that perfect scenario. So that's, that's really where the excitement lies um, in taking it forward from here. But getting it is energy intensive. Yes, it's, it's clean and green, but it, it requires a lot to get it, doesn't it? It does. There's two primary ways of producing it right now. The first way is actually to reform natural gas and we call that blue hydrogen. So we would reform it and capture the carbon. So you'll hear people talk about carbon capture usage and storage. And that's generally we put the gas under the, the, the carbon under the ground. Green hydrogen, though, is really where we would like to get to. And that's uh, electrolyzed um, water um, using renewable electricity and we're going to see lots more of that as we see more wind turbines being built we can electrolyze the water and produce hydrogen um, from that but there's there's also some other exciting ways forward and this is um, there are other colors of hydrogen that start to be talked about turquoise hydrogen for example and this is using some what, uh, what would be called as pyrolysis techniques and there are some companies now a very early stage in their innovations and they're actually capturing the carbon as something useful and some of the most exciting ones are capturing the carbon as carbon black or even graphene. And graphene is a highly saleable commodity. So rather than the carbon being seen as a waste, we start to see the carbon being an asset that we can use in other ways. So I, I think those technologies are super exciting and they could be game changers so that we get hydrogen and we also get graphene, for example, as a, as a byproduct, but which we, can, we could obviously make much more use of. In, in other technologies you, you touched on industry but I feel like that is you know that's a podcast in itself because it presents all kinds of different challenges and expectations and infrastructure let's talk about our houses and our homes what is the proposal for hydrogen gas in in domestic use there are hydrogen boilers in development at the moment that boiler that you've got in your home today there is an identical looking device that burns hydrogen produces heat in the same way as the boiler does today Equally, there are hydrogen hobs in the same way as your gas hob at home cooks an egg. Um, you can cook a, an egg on a hydrogen hob. So the, there's been a Bayes, um, the, the government Bayes department program called High for Heat that's developed a lot of these devices and they're now in demonstrable form, actually up in Gateshead. Um, and there's also going to be a mobile exhibition of this coming online probably before COP26, which I think is quite exciting. I think the plan is to get it up there for COP26 and also be available elsewhere. So the plan for in the home will be, we will be able to swap out the boilers people have today, the infrastructure they have today, and it would be hydrogen ready. So we can swap that out and it, for when we can actually get hydrogen into the networks, that equipment is ready to go 
and there is a very little changeover period. And the, the gas engineers are suggesting it's about an hour in order to switch the boiler from working on natural gas today to working on hydrogen in the future. So what we want to do is make this as painless as, as we possibly can for users. They, they buy a new boiler when their boiler needs replacing. And it's very similar to the way digital TV was rolled out. We all bought digital TVs way before digital was, was actually switched on. But then it becomes available and we can benefit from it at that time. Everybody keeps saying that it's about blend and it's about holistic because there isn't a one size fits all. You know, I hear people getting very excited about hydrogen, but then I'm thinking, oh, hang on a minute. If it was that easy, everybody would be using hydrogen exclusively already, wouldn't we? Yes. And it's none of it is easy. And, you know, getting to net zero is not easy. Um, whether we take a gas approach or we get an electricity approach, what we've got to find is the, the right approach at the right at the right time. And it's very difficult when we've got 30 years ahead of us to be making all those right choices that we've got to be making year by year. So what we've got to be really focusing on is what are the no regret solutions now? So an an example of a no regret solution for me would be there's an awful lot of houses out there with oil boilers. Well, oil definitely doesn't have a role in the future. That's where a heat pump is probably the best available solution right now. And I think it could be deployed as a no regret scenario. If we can be deploying hydrogen ready boilers in a lot of other properties over the next 10 years, while we get hydrogen developed and we can get it into the networks, that then is the right point to switch those properties to hydrogen. So there's a timing element to this. And if we can focus on no regrets decisions early, we will, pay, we will benefit from that and, and save an awful lot of money in the long run. What is the timeline for getting hydrogen in home boilers and hydrogen in the network? Hydrogen is already in the network today in a village called Wynlayton up in the northeast. So after a very successful trial at Kiel, they have now got hydrogen running at 20% blend into the networks up in, in Wynlayton. It's only a small village, but it's, uh, it's a, the second stage of a trial here in the UK where homes are receiving a blend of hydrogen. Uh, the next stage beyond that will be to develop a hydrogen neighbourhood or a hydrogen village. And there are plans for that to take place up in Scotland, first of all. So the H100 project is looking at that um, up in Fife, so that we'll have some hydrogen deployed homes up there. And this is all about demonstrating that it can be done, making sure that obviously we're not going to do any of this unless we can demonstrate it's safe. But it's, it's actually gaining customer confidence showing consumers that this is doable, equally getting that price point down so that we can we can deliver this in a very achievable way. So it's happening. There are there are already there is already hydrogen in the network. Um, So government have given us some targets about getting a hydrogen town up and running by the end of the decade. So that hopefully gives an indication that would be tens of thousands of houses. So that's that's the type of journey we're on. It's it's probably tens now, hundreds next and thousands beyond that. National Grid is also working on some exciting hydrogen projects in the US Northeast, including on Long Island, New York, which is well positioned to become a hydrogen hub. Now, this is a cluster of local hydrogen production, storage, and demand, which can be a great way to develop the hydrogen economy. 
Long Island is well positioned to become a hydrogen hub because of the high energy demand in the densely populated NYC metro area and, of course, that potential to use offshore wind to produce green hydrogen. Let's hear a bit more. At National Grid Ventures, we are looking across the hydrogen value chain, trying to identify areas uh, where, where this is uh, maybe able to play. And one of the places we're most excited about is in our power generation fleet. Uh, National Grid Ventures through uh, legacy companies has uh, 3.8 gigawatts of uh, fossil fire generation on Long Island. And we're interested in converting some of that to hydrogen fueled generation. Part of the exciting thing with that concept is in order to uh, create a, a generating plant that has uh, hydrogen as main source of fuel, you'll have to bring in a significant amount of hydrogen. And what that does is that uh, helps create a market. It will, will enable us to bring other industries along, such as you know, trains or transportation, maybe some work with our core utility and some blending projects that they're interested in. And uh, through the bulk use of hydrogen and the bulk supply, we feel like we can move the conversation forward a little bit. At the same time, we have a, the benefit of balancing renewables that, that we're involved in, uh, such as our offshore wind joint venture with RWE. With a large amount of offshore wind coming into the island, there's going to be Long Island. There's going to need to be a balancing effect on the electric grid and a clean peaker fueled by hydrogen uh, fits that nicely as well. There are a few challenges. Generally, the use of green hydrogen is is accepted and uh, encouraged, but uh, currently there, there are no economic markets for it. It just doesn't make sense from a financial standpoint as opposed to uh, other, other sources of energy. So we'll have to work through that. Um, we'll have to help create policies that en enable the use of hydrogen. And we, we feel as though um, the atmosphere is right for this type of work. It just needs to be uh, facilitated and we need to work with our, our legislators and our elected officials uh, and uh, local state agencies to ensure that we're able to um, you know, either get policy support for this type of stuff and then do a lot of public outreach around, around safety. Anytime you deal with a new energy product, you'll have to uh, cover the safety aspects of it as well. There'll be a whole... Uh, a whole campaign around uh, you know why it's a good idea and why it's beneficial uh, to reach net zero through hydrogen. Yeah, so the benefits are around um, you know around uh, supporting our net zero efforts. Um, obviously, we see a place where there's a lot of um, renewable energy that's uh, supporting a, a largely electrified. However, there's a there is a percentage that is going to be very difficult to electrify. Hydrogen use is, is a, seems to be a, uh, a good area where we could uh, bridge that gap, practically achieve a net zero uh, energy system. Well, that's all we have time for today. I suspect you still have lots of questions. Well, don't worry, because we will unpack some of those issues over the next few episodes. One thing is for sure, though, there are many options for decarbonising energy in the future, and hydrogen really is just one of them. It sounds like we could well see hydrogen villages popping up in the very near future, as industrial coastal hubs like Teesside, South Wales, Humber and Southampton become great options for decarbonisation. 
There are bumps ahead on that roadmap to change and it won't be simple. But today we've heard from just a few of the many people working on this to make it possible. Hydrogen is undoubtedly a massive challenge in terms of testing, infrastructure and timeline. And collaboration at every level, from businesses to councils, engineers, scientists, NGOs and energy suppliers, is essential. It seems that we need to think holistically with a mixed approach, tons of innovation and a slow transition. It requires us all to look to the future. Change is inevitable and necessary for our planet. Of course, hydrogen is just one option for the future. National Grid is working to explore lots of options and it's all about finding the right mix of them that is safe, affordable and fair for everyone, whether in industry, businesses or homes. A huge thank you to all of our guests for their insight and their time on this episode. I'm Helen Skelton and I will be back in two weeks. Follow this podcast on your favourite app to make sure you hear that one. In the meantime, you can find out more about the National Grid's work toward our clean energy future at nationalgrid.com forward slash podcasts.